0: Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at a passage today that talks about our living hope. And Caleb, if you could give an assist on the pulpit. And Lauren, nice job on the songs today. I was thinking how, you know, sometimes it'd be nice to sing it after the message because the words are so good and are going to fit in with what we're talking about this morning. (laughs) All right. First Peter chapter 1, just three verses this morning. I'd like to read them for us as we begin. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great hope that we have. More than we can imagine. And When we set our mind in it, we think of things of what heaven may be like and what it is that you are preparing for us. But we can only imagine in this life, and we have no idea of the glories that await us, not just in that moment when we step from this life to that life, but when we are there for all of eternity and all that you have prepared to show us that will go on forever and ever as you glorify yourself. Father, may we get a taste of that as we think about it in your word this morning. Amen. Two years ago, our son Ben was uh, playing basketball. He's down at the University of Lacrosse, and he was just playing in an intramural game with some friends. And he was dribbling the ball, and he went to make a cut, and his knee went out on it, tore his ACL. Some of you have gone through an injury like that. You know what it's, what it's like. And, you know, as parents, were thinking, man, it's hard enough to pay for tuition. Now we got a knee surgery, too, that's, that's part of it. And, uh, you know, what you do when something like that happens is you ask around for recommendations on a surgeon or a clinic. You know, where's the, where, where's the best surgeon who could handle that and repair that? And you talk to other people who have gone through injuries like that. Because you want to find out a little bit like, well, how's this going to go? What's it going to take to recover? How long a time period is that? And, and really what you're asking is to hear those kind of stories that are encouraging. Because you know that in order to get better, you're going to have to go through some pain. You know, there's going to be the pain of the surgery and recovery and the working out afterwards. But you do that because you believe that the gain at the end is going to be worth the pain. And that's true for, you know, somebody who's dealing with cancer and they're thinking about, you know, chemotherapy or radiation, you know. Is the outcome going to be worth the pain? Is it going to be worth it all in the end? And really, when I come to 1 Peter, that's what I see Peter writing about. Peter writes to give us hope. He is writing to believers who are experiencing persecution in their life. Some severe, some milder. We don't know all the circumstances. It wasn't as bad yet as it was going to get under Nero when even Peter and Paul would be put to death by Nero. There was a wave of persecution that was going to come, but it was bad, and the believers were feeling that already, just like our brothers and sisters in Christ are even today around the world. And so Peter wants to give them hope. And before he gets to the instructions on how we should live as believers in a fallen world, he writes about heaven. And he tells them about these glories that are to come. And he writes about heaven to encourage us to endure the pain now. Because in the end, it will be worth it all. Sometimes you may have heard the expression or maybe you've even used it, short-term pain, long-term gain. You know, that's what we hope for. Well, when I think about that with eternity, the pain that we experience in this life is pretty short compared to all of eternity. And in the end, we will see that it is worth it all. The pain and suffering of this world are temporary, but the joys of heaven are eternal. And we need hope. To face the trials of this life, and that is what we are given in 1 Peter chapter 1. All right, we're going to look at this verse by verse as we walk through it and see what Peter has to say to us here. In the first verse, he tells us that we have a living hope. This is verse 3. We have a living hope. Peter begins his letter with praise to God for our salvation and he says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In his great mercy God has done all of these things for us. You know, when I uh, first was reading this passage and I'm going through chapter 1 and I'm reading it and it's like Peter's just going on and on and on and on and he's kind of building up one truth upon another in this. And then I was doing the study and I realized that um, in in the Greek, verses 3 to 12 are one long run-on sentence. It's all one sentence. And so you you read this and you're kind of like, where do you come up for air? You know, Peter, let me take a break here a little bit and catch my breath or think about what you just wrote. But he is putting all of this together in this massive statement about what God has done for us and what we are going to see in eternity. So what is he saying as we try to unpack it here? He tells us that God the Father is the author of our salvation. It all begins with him, and it all started with his mercy. God did not have to save us. He chose to save us because of his great love for you and me. He did not have to send his son to be our savior, but he chose to do that because of all that he has prepared for us in eternity. So God the Father is the author of our salvation, And we are born again by the work of the Holy Spirit. He's going to talk about his work too. And then our salvation is made possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who has done the work to pay the penalty for our sins. It's the Holy Spirit who applies that to our life. And it is God the Father who initiates all of that in sending his Son to be our Savior. Salvation is a gift from God. We did not earn it or deserve it. We were sinners under God's wrath. And God in his mercy sent his son to die for us. The Apostle Paul talked about that too in Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. When he said, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die but god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us we were powerless we were unable to save ourselves we were lost in sin we were under the wrath the judgment of god and jesus chose to send or god chose to send his son jesus to die for the ungodly And because of what Christ has done for us, all of us who have placed our trust in Jesus have been born again to this living hope that we have in Christ. Now I want to talk about the word hope, too, because, uh, you know, the way the Bible uses hope, it is different than the way that we use it. Uh, Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not like someone saying, you know, I hope I win the lottery even though The odds of me getting hit by lightning are more uh, impressive than my odds of winning the lottery. Now, please don't send me any emails. I don't play the lottery. I'm just using that as an example. (laughs) Or another example would be like, you know, hope is not like saying, I hope the Vikings beat the Packers tonight, but I'm really not sure. I I mean, the Gophers won yesterday, so I guess anything's possible, right? We could have an upset tonight too. But we don't know. It's not something that we can count on happening. Biblical hope is different. Biblical hope includes three things. It includes an expectation, a positive belief about the future, that the future is good, that what God has prepared for us is good. It includes the idea of trust, a confidence that what we hope for will happen that God will do what he has promised. And it also includes patience, that we wait patiently for it to come, and it is that hope that inspires and undergirds our patience, that we hang in there because we believe that what God is going to do in the future is so much better, that again, the pain and trials and suffering in this life will be nothing compared to the glory that's going to come. Biblical hope is more like waiting for Christmas. We know it's going to come. It may seem long to a child or slow in coming, but we know that that day is going to come and there's an anticipation about it. And the same is true concerning all that God has prepared for us in eternity. It is called a living hope because it is present and continuous. It affects every day everything that we do these thoughts are to be in our mind and do you think about that as you go through life do you think about that when you are dealing with trials and adversity and do you think about the hope of what is to come a couple years ago i think it was i'm not sure but uh, pastor jim shared an illustration about a woman who was diagnosed with a terminal illness And she had been given just a few months to live. And so she wanted to get her house in order. And part of that meant, you know, she was a believer. And she wanted to meet with the pastor to talk about her funeral service. And she had picked out hymns that she would like, songs she had picked out, some of her favorite verses. And she gave those instructions to her pastor. And then she had this one unusual request. She said, when I'm buried, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. Remember that? Remember why she wanted that? Cause all those years of those church potlucks whenever they said keep the fork she knew that the best was yet to come the dessert was coming and so she wanted to keep the fork and she wanted to be buried with that so if anybody asked the question why is she buried with a fork that the pastor could explain to them that the best is yet to come you know i heard that story i thought about my dad too and my dad those last few years of his life was uh, battling cancer and, you know, he, he had things in his mind that he still wanted to do, and he still had this, this idea of hope there. And one of the things my mom told me after he died is, um, you know, about a year before that, they had come out to Colorado where Gail and I were with Campus Crusade, and we were at a staff training, and they came out to see us in the summer, wanted to see the mountains, wanted to see us, and Dad was struggling at that time. But she said that my dad always kept a new pair of pajamas in the drawer, in the bag, you know, in the drawer, because whenever he traveled or went on a trip or something like that, he always wanted to have a nice new pair of pajamas. I'm not sure where that started, but that was for him a thing of hope. He was always looking forward to the next trip, the next opportunity to go and to do something like that, even as he was battling cancer. And I thought about it. it's kind of interesting, you know, he did take that final trip to heaven to be with the Lord in a place where he was not going to need any of those things because everything we need there will be provided for us. But it illustrated for me how much we need hope. We need it to get through the things that are tough in our life. We want to believe that the future is going to be better. And for us as Christians, our hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because he lives, we too will live. That is our hope. He tells us, secondly, that we have a lasting inheritance in verse 4. He tells us that we've been born again into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It is kept in heaven for you. And so here he is, Peter is telling us that this inheritance is unlike anything we know in this world. It won't perish, it won't spoil, it won't fade away. King James Version says that it is incorruptible, it is undefiled, that means it is pure, perfectly pure, and it fadeth not away. It is permanent, not temporary. And when you think about that, that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? I mean, we don't know anything like that in our world. Everything in our world changes. You know, everything in our world ultimately wears out. In fact, we spend most of our lives working to buy stuff that one day we're going to bring to the end of our driveway so somebody else can haul it away. I mean that's that's kinda how it goes, this cycle of life. Or or if you have had, you know, parents who have died and you've had to, you know, go to their home and and kinda you know, what do you do with that stuff? Some of it you keep, some of it you bring to goodwill or salvation army, or some of it you just put in the trash and it gets hauled away because all that stuff that we have, as we talked about in this last series, we can't take with us. It's gonna perish. And so, in this life, you know, we we have cars that wear out, need to be replaced, homes need maintenance, appliances need repairs, clothes wear out, technology changes, things become obsolete, and even our own physical bodies age. And one day they'll be laid in the grave. But Peter tells us that this inheritance that we have will never perish, it'll never spoil it'll never fade away you see for the believer death is not the end of the story we will all be changed now look at this passage which is familiar from first corinthians 15 verses 50 to 54. paul writes i declare to you brothers that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable but listen I tell you a mystery that we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality... Then the saying that is written will come true, that death has been swallowed up in victory. There's a big change coming when that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise and we are changed and we get our new physical bodies that will be glorified and will be just like our Lord's. But it's not just we as people that are going to be affected by this change that is coming. This world we live in will also be changed. It will be made new. And in Romans 8, 18 to 21, Paul said this. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. You get this sense that all of creation, all of nature is just waiting for that day when our Lord returns. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What a great picture that is. Isn't that just an amazing thing to think about? That even this world where we see things run down and decay will be changed and brought into the glorious freedom of the sons of God. C.S. Lewis described it well in the Chronicles of Narnia. On the final page of the final book of the Chronicles of Narnia, some of the children who have been to Narnia lament that they once again must return to their homeland, the Shadowlands. But Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, has the best news of all for them. Aslan spoke to the children, and he said, You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. And Lucy said, We're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, and you have sent us back to our world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan, have you not guessed? And their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose within them. "'There was a real railway accident,' said Aslan softly. "'And your father and mother and all of you are, "'as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. "'The term is over. "'The holidays have begun. "'The dream has ended, and this is the morning.' "'And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion.' But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, and which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. What a marvelous picture of heaven. Can you imagine what it's gonna be like? Can you imagine what it'll be like to one day die and wake up in heaven and seeing our Lord and Savior? You know when I I read those verses, or excuse me, I read that story that C.S. Lewis shared. I think of these verses in Ephesians chapter 2, where in verses 6 and 7, Paul says that God has raised us up with Christ and He has seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. Expressed to us in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus In order that in the coming ages God might show us the incomparable riches of his grace In other words, it's going to be like Year after year, century after century, millennium after millennium That it's going to take all of eternity for God who is infinite in his glory To reveal the incomparable riches of his grace that sounds pretty good doesn't it and it is that hope that we have that makes the trials of this life seem so light and insignificant in comparison and peter tells us that this is our inheritance and it is being kept in heaven for you you can count on it. It is there. It is prepared. It is ready to be revealed in the last day when our Lord returns. So Peter goes on to tell us thirdly, we have a divine protection. Now imagine if you were living in an area where you were living in fear of your life because of persecution. And you did not know when someone might come to want to take you away and put you to death or throw you into prison. And Peter writes to you and tells you that you have a divine protection. He said that we who through faith, we are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We are shielded by God's power. The word shielded is a military term, it it means to be continuously guarded so that you may safely reach your destination. It's like being president of the United States with a secret service detail assigned to you, and they are camped all around you, and they're watching for any kind of intruders or dangers that might be out there. There is a security detail assigned to you as a believer in Christ, there are angels watching over you there is a hedge of protection around you but that doesn't mean that bad things can't happen to us as Christians sometimes God allows things to happen in our life to bring glory to himself just like he did with Daniel or with Daniel's friends Shadrach Meshach and Abednego it wasn't fun being thrown into a lion's den or into a fiery furnace But God was there with them. And sometimes God rescues us from those trials, and sometimes believers in Christ have perished and died in those trials. But God is with us. Sometimes God allows trials to come into our life to test us and to refine our faith as he did with Israel. And sometimes we get into trouble because of our disobedience. And God disciplines us because we are His sons and daughters. So any of those outcomes are possible. But the thing that we can know is that nothing can come into our life except what God allows. Romans 8.28 is that promise we hold on to, that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and, be call- and have been called according to His purpose. God makes All things work together for good. That's what we sang in that first song this morning. That pain may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God is at work for our good. His goal is to make us holy. He will be glorified and he will bring us safely home. And our part in all of this is to trust him. And Peter says that. He says that it is through faith, it's through our trust in God that we are shielded by His power. It is through our faith that we believe that God will do what He says. Faith is trusting that God knows what He is doing even when we don't understand. God will take care of us as His children. And He will bring us safely into His very presence. We are shielded, by God's power until the day comes when our salvation will be fully revealed in the last time. I like how he says it, that it's ready. It's ready to be revealed. It could be any day now. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 100 years. From, we don't know. We are to be ready because that revelation is ready and the Lord is standing at the door. So, what does that mean for us today? Well, in the meantime, how should we live? The Bible tells us that we are to live with hope, waiting for our inheritance and trusting in God's promises. We're to live every day with hope because of what God has said. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I think about those verses, and I think you know of a man who could write, Our Light and Momentary Troubles... This was from a man who had experienced beatings and flogging and shipwrecked and hardships and imprisonment. And he described it all in comparison to the glory that's going to come. It's as light as a feather on a scale. But the glory that is to come is like a gold brick on the other side that just far outweighs them all. So let's fix our eyes on heaven. And let's run toward that goal that God has set before us. And in the meantime, let's do the most good that we can to bless others, to help them come to know Christ, and to be a blessing in this world. Let's pray. Father, would you fill our hearts with hope as we wait upon you? And I thank you for these promises and the assurances that you give, and I pray that they would just ring in our hearts as we think about all that you have prepared for us in the future. And Father, for those here in particular that are going through some difficult trials in their life right now, whether it be because of loss, grief, because of an upcoming surgery or a treatment that they are receiving, or maybe it's with their work, or family situation. God, I pray that you would use this passage of Scripture to minister to their hearts in particular and to give them hope. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.